true religion is known by the way it promotes Jesus Christ. You may test all claims at religion by what that religion does with the Lord Jesus. You may test your own soul that way. You may test a church that way. You may test your wife, your children, or a nation in relation to what does it do with Jesus Christ. This week, I was speaking with a church leader in this town, a larger church, and I commented that my wife was sick. I thank the Lord she's nearly healed. Glad she's with us today. She said, I'm not sure if I'll be back tonight. Sweetheart, you can rest whenever you want, but not during the sermon. I mentioned to this other church leader that my wife was sick. And I said, but there is something good that God is doing through even sickness. He's helping us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Because our bodies are going weak, as 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 tell us. Our bodies are weak, but in our weakness, we are able to think more of the Lord Jesus. And this person said, well, I'd rather be healthy and see my children grow up. Now, I thought that's interesting. I commented that my wife has a sad case where she's sick. And at least good things. God is doing good things even in, in hard times because he's helping us to think more of Christ. And the person could not simply say yes to that. Well, but maybe, maybe I misunderstood. So I pressed just a little bit with this person and said, well, that, that's true. I also want to see my children grow. But more than I want to see my children get married or more than I want to be comfortable on earth, I want to see the Lord Jesus. I want to see him in heaven. I want to see him on earth. I want Christ. So I was trying to clarify. Do you follow the story? And then the other church leader could not sit with that clarification either and pressed me again and said, Well, maybe for you, but I really want to be healthy and see my family grow. I thought, this is very interesting. I tried to make it clear. Of course I love my children. I happen to have more children than this person. I love kids. I love spending time with my children or my wife. I like to be healthy. I am generally healthy, but sometimes I've been sick. I got COVID last year. I don't like to be sick. But if I had to compare them, what do I love more than comfort? I love Jesus. And this this church leader could not allow that statement to be made without correcting it. And then when I tried to qualify, no. It was as if, She was saying, I want it to be clear. If it comes to a contest of loves, this is what I love the most. Brothers and sisters, that is dangerous. We're going to see this morning from John chapter 17 that a mark, the central mark 
of true religion, of a true church, of saving faith, of Christianity, there's one great mark. We can go through the complexities of many things in the Bible, but if you want to make it simple, if you want to evaluate your own soul, if you want to evaluate a church or a sermon or a TV station, if you're watching TV and you say, wow, this is really good, how would you be able to know if the thing on TV was really good? If you're listening to a song and you've clicked um, uh, repeat, do you ever do that? You have a song and you hit repeat and you listen to it 10 times over. How would you be able to tell if a song was worthy of being repeated? Well, I just know it feels so good. Maybe. Today I want to give you the test. The test by which you determine is something truly Christian is found in our passage this morning. And I would draw your attention to this, that this test comes from the longest prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been with us, you will know that we are studying the book of John and we're going verse by verse. So last week in chapter 17, verse one, we dealt with the words, the hour has come. So let's look down in our Bibles at John 17, verse one, and let's pick it up right after those words. The hour has come. What does the Bible say? Glorify your son. We're in John 17, verse one. John 17, verse one. And you'll want to just keep your Bible open as we go through the passage this morning. John 17, verse one. Father, the hour has come. And then what are the next words? Glorify your son so that your son also may glorify you. True prayer always follows from true religion. And now we have the chance to learn how to pray from God himself. If we were to pray, having learned from God himself, how would we pray? This is how, from John 17, because Jesus is now speaking to the Father. Inter-Trinitarian communion. How should we pray? How would we pray? How do we pray? And answer, we pray like Jesus in John 17. Why do we need to learn to pray? Because prayer is like a bucky load of cement. It's hard to pick up. Prayer is that, is that task that sometimes you pick up a little bit of it, but you don't carry it very long because it's difficult. Isn't that true? How many of us can go a day without really praying? How many of us have gone a week or a month without really praying? Well, we need to learn from our Lord Jesus how to pray. And so this morning, I would draw your attention to the prayer of Jesus. And we're going to see today the first prayer request. Glorify your son. In, in other words, the whole message is this. Are you ready? Here's the message in one sentence. If you go out of here and someone says, what did you learn in church today? Here it is. It's one sentence, the whole message, verses one, two, and three in one crisp sentence. Jesus Christ, the son of God, is very bold when he asks for the father to make him glorious. That's it. The son of God is going to be very bold. And he's going to say, 
Father, make me famous, well-known. Make my name known in all the world. That's what he's going to say. That's the point of this passage. And if you're going to pray correctly, you'll pray that way. And if you're going to be a true Christian, you'll evaluate yourself by that. Not on whether you wear the ZCC star. Not by whether you go to the, the Heinke Kerk and you were sprinkled when you were a clean sinky. Not by whether you have the uniform for the church. Not by whether you, the pastor put his hand on your head and said, in the name of Jesus, and pushed you back and you fell to the ground. Those things are insufficient to determine if you can truly take the name Christian. Rather, there is a test, and it's this. Are, is your life consumed with making Christ known? You see, we love superficial solutions. We hear about church and we say, oh, I can, I can have this easy church. It doesn't demand me to change my life. It doesn't demand a whole new culture. It doesn't demand great costs. It's, it's fairly simple. No, Jesus says, Father, make my name great. And if you're going to truly pray, you've got to start that way. When he taught his disciples, what did he say? Glorified be your name. Hallowed be your name. And here he prays and says, it is now time for the son to be glorified. I have four points this morning. I'd like to give you, first of all, the request. Glorify the son. Directly after that, in verse one, I'm going to give you the result to glorify the Father. Glorify your Son. Do you see in verse 1? Look, look down at verse 1. Glorify the Son. And then maybe your Bible has the word that. Do you see the word that in John chapter 17 verse 1? Glorify your Son so that I may glorify the Father. That's the result. And then there's a reason in verse 2. Because you gave him authority. And then there's another result in verse 2. So that he can give eternal life. That's our, that's our sermon this morning. There's a prayer request and a result of the prayer request. There's a reason for the prayer request. And then there's a second result. Request, result, reason, result. Let's follow that today. Look first of all at the request. Glorify your son. And very quickly, I'd like you to see that he does not ask for three things. The old Greek philosophers said, if you want to understand something clearly, before you ask, what is this thing? Say, what it is not. If you want to know what a Muvenda is, ask yourself first, what is he not? Well, he's not a Mutsonga. Well, what, what is this thing, this prayer that he's asking? What is it not? Number one, it's not a vague request. He doesn't say things like, oh, help us. Be careful in your prayers by giving such vague requests that you can never tell if they're answered. Help us. How would you ever know if you've been helped? Bless us. How would you know if you've been blessed? 
Be with us. How would you know if you've been with? He doesn't ask for a vague request. He asks specifically, glorify, and then he puts a subject after it. Glorify Jesus. He doesn't just say, oh, give good things, make good things happen, but glorify. Number two, he does not ask for a small request, a petty request. Help me today. Please take away the rain. Many times when we pray, we ask for things that are very, very small. I've heard people in prayer meetings say, I've been tired recently. I'm sorry you're tired, but even Jesus got tired. And he didn't pray, help me not to be tired anymore. He prayed instead, while I'm tired, glorify your son. Number three, he does not ask for a carnal request. He does not pray for a Ferrari. He does not pray for a promotion. He does not even pray for his best life now. He doesn't pray for anything that will make him comfortable. In fact, he's going to be praying, glorify your son. And what we're about to see is when he prays, glorify your son, he's praying for his own death. He's praying that he would die in a cruel and torturous way. So he's not praying a vague or a petty or a carnal request. But what is he praying? He's praying to be glorified. Ah, let's look at that word glorify. What does it mean to be glorified? It means to be clearly seen. It means to make something large enough that you can see it clearly. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. When we say to make something clearly seen, you can do that in one of two ways. Have you ever looked inside a microscope Anyone here, have you ever looked inside a microscope and, and something small became very large? Have you ever taken maybe a spyglass or, um, um, what is the word? Magnifying glass and held up a magnifying glass maybe over, over a book? The letters were small and you held it up and suddenly what happened to the letters? They became larger. That's not what Jesus, Jesus is saying. Jesus does not want some small detail to become very big. He's not saying, find a germ and make it appear like it's a mountain. He's saying, take a star out of the night sky. You look up at those stars and how big are they, kids? When you go to see a star at night, how big is the star? If you put your finger up, it covers it, right? And you might be tempted to think your finger is larger than... But if you could look through that telescope at the same star, you might realize... My whole earth is a speck of dust compared to the size of that enormous glowing ball of gases. That's what he's happening. That's what he's saying. Glorify your son. Not take something small and magnify it beyond its proportion. But take something great and glorious that's so far off to these people. And pull it right down and present it before them so that they'll say... I thought Jesus was just merely this man, but I see now that he is God. I see now he has no beginning or ending. I see him for who he is. That's the prayer. I got that illustration from John Piper between the microscope and the telescope. He's got it exactly right. We're not trying to make something, take something small and make it big. We're taking something very big but far off and bringing it down to us. That's what's happening. Well, let me ask you this question before we go any further. 
who can ask to be glorified? Because Jesus here makes a request. He says, Father, glorify me. Who can ask that? Well, there's only three options, right? Can dogs ask to be glorified? No. But three people can. Number one, men can. Can men say, glorify me? Well, they can. It happens in the Bible many times. Herod, Acts 12, verse 23, when the people said, it is, <coughs> excuse me, it is the voice of a God, not of a man. Herod loved that. And the Bible says in Acts 12, 23, worms came and ate him. Herod wanted what? What did Herod want? He wanted to be glorified. He asked for all the people, give me honor, give me praise. And God killed him by eating him from the inside out with worms right there. Many other people, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 verse 30. Nebuchadnezzar was even told in advance by Daniel. King, you are going to be lifted up with pride. And when you are lifted up with pride, God is going to punish you. And Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, Daniel, thank you so much for telling me that. And Nebuchadnezzar goes right out to do the thing that he was warned about by the prophet. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, he's walking through his kingdom. And he says, is this not Babylon the great that I have built with my hand for the excellency of the glory of myself? Daniel 4, verse 30. Next verse, a voice comes from heaven and says... Your time is finished. And for seven years, he's turned into a beast and he crawls around on the ground. That great and glorious king, he's not, men aren't bowing to him anymore. He's bowing to rocks as he crawls around on the ground for seven years. Oh, men can ask for glory like these fools. But what happens when men do that? They fall on their faces before God. When men desire to be glorified, they have always sinned. It is not possible for you to to desire and to call down honor on yourself without sinning. This is why I'm greatly concerned about much of the religion today. Brothers and sisters, guard yourselves. There is a wicked demonic spirit in religion where the men long to be exalted as if they were many gods. There is a spirit in religion today, and it comes from Satan, who said five times, I will ascend upon the hill of God. I will be like the Most High. I will sit on the throne of God. Five times he said, I will be like the Most High. When you desire to be exalted and glorified you are making yourself like satan and if you see a movie uh, not a movie if you see a television show or a, a tv preacher do not be afraid to say this is wicked and satanic if the man claims to be a pastor but exalts himself true pastors and true christians glorify who the son False pastors call down that glory on themselves. Thomas Akempis said, Surely, this I may truly think and say, Lord, I am nothing. I can do nothing. I have nothing good for myself, but in all things I am defective. 
I am continually tending to achieve nothing. I am more ready to go backward than forward. We need that, don't we? We are commonly thinking very well of ourselves. Years ago, there was a study done on students in America after they had taken a test. And they were asked, how do you think you did on the test? And 95% of the American students said, I think I think I did very, very well. The same study was given to Japanese students when they had finished taking a test. And they were asked, how do you think you did? And 5% of the Japanese students said, I think I did very well. Did you follow that? Hear the numbers? 95% of the Americans, oh, I did great. 5% of the Japanese said, I did great. And the numbers were exactly reversed. It was the Japanese who thought they failed who won and succeeded. And it was the Americans who thought they passed and they actually failed. Our problem is not a lack of confidence. Our problem is that we don't desire the glory of God and of Jesus Christ. There is a place for confidence and that place is Jesus. And let us go and put all of our confidence in God and in Christ and stop searching for honor and glory ourselves. Angels, number two, angels can search for honor. Didn't I say this? I was asking, who can seek for honor? Who's the first group of people who can seek for honor? Man can. Who's the next group? Angels can. But it always ends badly. When angels search for honor for themselves, we have demons and Satan. If you are an African and understand something about Vuroi or Vuloi or Vuroi, depending on your language group, If you are an African and understand something about the fear and terror that can bind men who've grown for hundreds or thousands of years behind that fear, you just know this. All of the fear and distraction and terror, all of the binding poverty that comes from witchcraft and buloi, all of that can be rooted back to this angel saying, I deserve honor. And when we do that, we are taking part in the same fruit from the tree that brought about devastation, poverty, discouragement, depression, and death. But who's the third group that can ask for glory? Not men, not angels, but who? God God himself. Listen to some of these verses. Psalm 106, verse 8. Nevertheless, Jehovah saved them for the sake of his own name, so that he might make his power known. Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Ezekiel 20, verse 9, I acted for the sake of my name. Why does God do everything that he does? Because he is self-centered. If you are self-centered, it is a terrible sin. When God is self-centered, it's what we call joy and beauty and love and glory and righteousness. In fact, if God were not self-centered, it would be a sin. Why? Because idolatry is when you pick up something above God. 
If God were not self-centered, he would be loving something else more than himself. If he loved something else more than himself, he would be saying something else is more glorious than himself. If God said something is more glorious than himself, he would be committing the sin of what? Idolatry. If God were not self-centered, he would be breaking the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. Have no idols. If God were not self-centered, he would really be saying, I'm not God, there's another God. But because God loves himself, it is further proof that he alone is God. So let all the men of the earth, let all the nations bow down and kiss his son. Let all the pastors get off of their proud high horses where they walk around even the way they walk says, look at me. They kind of bounce and strut back and forth, shoulders back, chest out, head up, because I'm the great one. Cast down all of that and let your walk and your talk and your clothes and your lifestyle, let all of that say glory to the sun, not glory to myself. What does it mean that the sun desires to be glorified? We've asked, what did he not mean? We've asked, what is glorification? We've asked, who may want to be glorified? And now I want to ask, what does it mean that Christ would be glorified? It means that he is eager to return to all the honor that he had with the Father before the world. Look at chapter 17, verse 5. Look at 17, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you when... Before the world was made. When Jesus says glorify me, he wants to return to that full honor that he had before the world was even made. For all time, the sweetest pleasures, the most beautiful concourse held between the members of the Trinity. And Jesus wants to return to that. It had only changed because he took a body, which means the glory of his eternal state only changed because he wanted to save sinners like you. That's why the name of this church is Grace, Grace, Grace Bible. Because we never want to forget he was full of glory, but he laid aside that glory in order to bring his sheep home. This is Grace Bible Church, and let us never forget the grace of Jesus Christ. And the fact that Jesus wants to be glorified shows that he is not a man. Some people say, Jesus is a good prophet. That's the Muslims. Jesus is who? A good prophet? That's the Islamic view. Well, then why would he pray, glorify me? No good man can ever say, glorify me. As soon as you say, glorify me, you're either a bad man, a crazy man, or you are God. There's no other options. Which one do you claim for Jesus here? Is he crazy? Is he a wicked man or is he God? Jehovah's Witness, I ask you, you who go to the Watchtower Church, what do you do with this? It's in their Bible. If they come and bring the, the uh, Watchtower translation to your house, right now they're building a translation center so they can translate the Watchtower Bible into Chivenda. That's a bad translation. But if they do bring it to your house, if you ever see a Venda Watchtower Bible, just go to John 17, verse 1. And when it says, glorify your son, ask them, may good men ever want to be glorified? 
May angels ever want to be glorified? What happened when angels were glorified? What happened when men are glorified? Who is allowed to be glorified but Jehovah? And this one says, glorify me. What's the conclusion? He is Jehovah. How specifically is the son going to be glorified? Well, he's going to be glorified. I'm just going to skip some things here. Let me give you two, two ways he's glorified. CC. What are they? How is he going to be glorified? One C, second C. What are the two C's? The cross. The cross and the crown. He's praying late in the night. Judas is already walking to arrest him. He's already prayed twice. This is the third time he's gone to pray. He prayed the first time, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Now he's not praying that anymore. He prayed at first as a man. As a man the first time in Luke chapter 22, he prayed, let the cup pass from me. That was his human nature praying. But now his divine nature prays. And his divine nature says, glorify your son, which means John chapter 12, verse 32. If I am lifted up on the cross, I will call all men. I will draw all men to me. He's saying, let me be glorified by the cross. And the cross is going to happen in 12 hours. Less than 12 hours. He will be nailed and the cold steel will bite into his arms. Less than 12 hours and the ropes that will be extra security on the cross will bind his wrist and cut tight. And, and into the blessed hands of our Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is praying for the cross. And when he prays for the cross, oh, he's praying for three wonderful things about God to be known. We could talk about propitiation and justification and substitution and redemption. We could talk about atonement. We could talk about imputation. All of those things are happening on the cross. But if you've been coming to this church, we've talked about those things in the past. So I'm going to look at the cross from a different perspective. On the cross, three great things about the Lord Jesus were being known. The wisdom of God. The power of God. And the justice of God. The three perspectives on the cross. His wisdom, because on the cross he blends law and grace. No other way to do it. No man could have thought it. If anyone wants to know, is Christianity from God? I ask you, who could ever think of this? Some Muslims come back to me and say, oh no, Christianity is pagan. Because the ancient Greeks had chances when people died. No, that Muslim needs to read a little more carefully. Yes, some of the Greek gods died, but never did one did a Greek god die in order to appease the justice of God and the grace of God. Never. It never happened. It cannot happen. It can't happen because these traits did not exist in the Greek pantheon. These traits did not exist in Roman or European or African or Asian society. Only Christianity says the cross brings together grace and law. Only Christianity says that. And it's not possible that any man could have thought of that. Who would have thought that there's a God with three persons? There's a father and a son. And the son will pull down all of the father's wrath. He'll drink it down completely. And at the same time, he'll exalt the grace of God. He'll go down into the chambers of death. And he'll come up the other side victorious. Who could have thought of that? 
On the cross, we see wisdom. On the cross, we see power. Remember, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself and I take it up again. What power is that? Can you kill yourself and bring yourself back? That one does. But what's amazing is what we've been praying this month. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 to 19. If anyone went one verse further and read verse 20, it says, we want to know the exceeding greatness of his power by which he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The father raised the son. I thought the son raised himself. Notice in scripture how many times all three do all of the same works. We'll talk more about that tonight with sanctification. This amazing power is shown at the cross. What kind of power? Oh, in a single human body. Jesus himself, far stronger than Hercules or Atlas. Atlas was the ancient uh, hero who could hold up the entire world on his shoulders. Jesus is greater than that because he holds the world in his hand and on his shoulders. He takes God himself. This is the real Atlas. That's why I say on the cross we see the power of God. What's the third one I mentioned? Did anyone follow? On the cross we see three things. His wisdom. I mentioned the the conjunction of grace and law. And his power. He takes in all of God. The weight of God himself. And his justice. Wherein do we see the justice of God? Because he must punish sin. And in all three of these ways, this religion surpasses Catholicism. This religion surpasses Islam. This religion surpasses Buddhism and Hinduism. This is the greatest religion. This religion surpasses African traditional religion. This religion surpasses European secularism. This religion surpasses atheism. This religion surpasses all other ideas in the history of the world. Because there it is, Christ alone exalted and adored. And if your soul is fearing death today, this is the one rock. This glorifying of the sun is the only rock that your your weary, exhausted soul can ever rest upon. How is Christ glorified? He's glorified on the cross, but he's also glorified in what? What's the second C? How is Christ glorified? Two ways, the cross and the crown. By the way, there's a great website, Cross and Crown Ministries. It's dedicated to New Covenant theology, and they have a lot of books and sermons for free. If anyone's interested in New Covenant theology, you can find that on Cross and Crown. The crown includes his ascension. That is his inheritance when he was adopted. According to Romans chapter 8, it includes what we call his session. What is Christ's session? Christ's session is the name that theologians give to his constant ministry of prayer. Jesus Christ is the real prayer warrior. You and I know nothing of prayer. It is he who is the prayer warrior. He was praying for us before he died and he prays for us now. That ministry is called his session. He sits on the right hand of the Father praying for all his people. And then what's the third glory of the crown? His second coming, ascension, second coming, ascension, session, and second coming. Three elements of the crown, three perspectives. The second coming of Jesus Christ, when he will rule with all open power, undeterred. 
You see, this is how he was glorified. But now let me ask you this final question in this heading. I said I have four. This is the final point of the first one. Was this prayer answered? Was our Lord's prayer that he be glorified? Was it answered? How do you know? I see some shaking their heads. Yes. Let me ask you, is there any name known more universally than the name of Jesus Christ? Is there any name known more glorious than his, more commonly than his? Is there any name that divides the calendar? We're in the year 2022. What's that year counting from? Homer? Shaka Zulu? Not Muhammad? Not Buddha? Not the Pope? It's counting from the birth of Jesus. The whole world counts their days from him. We're meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. It's a national, God-directed world bowing before Jesus when they count their days based off of the time he rose from the dead. Oh, there are a great many ways that he's honored. He is honored more than all other. What subject has been the theme of more songs than Jesus Christ? The world sings about love, but it's really just a shadow. They've got all these strong feelings, and then what can we put this on? They sing a few songs about country, but ah, they they drop that quickly. That, That takes too much reflection. They sing a few songs about kids, but not so many. They sing their songs about the love of a husband for a wife because it's immediate. But every time you hear one of those songs on the radio, you can tell when they're singing about their urges and their desires, you can tell this is like a six-year-old who wants more sweets. That six-year-old should grow up and channel his passions and desires into what they were made for. And your passions and your desires and your heart was made to honor him. And look at the songs we have. Hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of songs for the name of Jesus. No one else is even close. No single subject is even close to the number of songs that have been made and poems that have been made for him. In fact, nearly every pure pleasure that you have ever enjoyed or ever will enjoy is coming from Jesus Christ. In Alvin Schmidt's excellent book, what Christianity, How Christianity Changed the World, he gives many examples of this. I'll just quickly shoot off a few. Hospitals, schools, orphanages, they were all begun by Christians. You wouldn't have Louis Tricart Memorial Hospital if Christians, in the name of their Savior Jesus, had not begun them. Modern science, I'll just give you a few names. Roger Bacon, Copernicus, Leonardo da Vinci, Johannes Kepler, Isaac Newton. These and many, many, many more. All Christians, and they did their science in the name of who? Jesus had nothing to do, by the way, with race or ethnicity. It has everything to do with the fact that they had a Bible. The Bible had influenced their culture. And so it was Christianity that brought about everything we see. If you like pens, the plastic that came from it was produced by scientific principles that ultimately found their beginning in Jesus Christ. The petrol that you use sometimes now because of the price. That petrol came from scientific principles that found their genesis in Jesus Christ. The smartphones that we are addicted to, their technologies all stem back to Jesus Christ and much, much more. What about music? Did you know staff lines 
That is, the way Amy played the piano today was done with staff lines. Those lines were written in order for pastors to be able to have a way to sing to Jesus in the church. Symphonies, scales, even music techniques, all done by Christians for Christianity. Constitutional republics. Do you like the constitution that you're under? Do you like the fact that now, if you commit a crime, they don't just grab you and beat you? Do you like the fact that you have a law and a courts and justice and police? All of that comes from a constitutional republic, which history tells us. I know this is controversial, but I'm still, I firmly believe it. And I'm going to tell you, we can talk more about it later and how. It comes from Christianity. John Calvin, Martin Bucer, and many others laid the foundations for the constitutional republic because of their Christian religion. And without the Christian religion, you could not have a constitutional republic. What about freedom of religion? Are you glad that you have freedom to choose to worship Buddha or whatever you want to worship? Freedom of religion comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. Do you like freedom of speech? In the past, if you spoke ill against the king, they could cut your head off or run you through with spears. I read a biography of Shaka Zulu. And when it was suspected that someone spoke against him, they were tortured to death. Commonly hung from trees, but not by their necks. Hung from trees so that they would still stay alive. And then the warriors would stand around with spears, slowly poking them until they died. If you speak evil against Shaka, you're going to die in torture. But because of Jesus, you can speak against Ramaphosa. Or Joe Biden, or whoever you're, Justin Trudeau, please. It's, it's Jesus who allows this to happen. So let me ask you this Do you pray like our Lord? Are you praying like the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you praying that Christ would be honored? Are you arranging your prayers this way? Are you praying, first of all, that he would be honored in your own heart? That's what we were doing all month with Ephesians 1. Are you praying he would be honored in your family? Are you praying he would be honored in your church? Are you praying for this town? Perhaps we don't see revival because we're not praying, God, be glorified and glorify your son in the retreat cart. Perhaps the churches are talking more about living long enough to see their grandkids Because their prayer meetings are not prayer meetings built off this request. Glorify your son. That's the great request that ought to control all others. But once we have this request, then then very quickly, let's see some of these other results. Look in chapter 17, verse 1. Glorify your son. Why? What's the reason or the result? So that your son may glorify you. By the way, let me make this point. That word, so that, that you see in verse 1, it's a very common word. It means result. It's found over 600 times in the Greek Bible. It's in almost every chapter of the New Testament. But it's found in John 17 more than anywhere else in the whole Bible. John 17 is not a long chapter. But by far... It's in this chapter more than any others. In fact, on my computer, I can, I can search for those words, and then I can click graph and look at the graph. In almost every other chapter, the bars stick out about this far. How many times the word so that is used. 
But on John 17, suddenly the bar jumps out here. Why? Because our Lord Jesus is praying logically. He's praying, give me this in order that these things might follow. Logic is not a human construct. It's not racist. It's not white. It's not European. It's Christian. When Jesus prays, he prays logically. And he links this together. Do this. Glorify me in order that I might turn around and glorify you. The members of the Godhead reciprocate their loves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 to 28, Jesus says this. And then the end will come when they have delivered up all glory and honor to the Son. Who's the Son? Jesus Christ. Then he says, and then when all honor is delivered to the Son, he will give it to the Father so that God might be all in all. That's the end of history. The end of history is that all men are slowly going to channel their hearts and their loves and their money and their time and their life and everything they have to Jesus. And when Jesus takes it all, it won't even fill his hand. And he'll take it in his hand right up to his father and say, all this I give you because you gave it to me. That's what he's going to do. That's why he wants this. So even while God is self-centered, he's not. There's a beauty of God-centeredness and generosity. That God loves himself only to give to other members within himself. There's much, much more in that, but for time we're just going to run on. There is coming a day when all God's people will want nothing more than to know and make known more of the mysteries of his will, more of the triumphs of his grace, more of the secrets of his creativity, more of the constructions of his language, more of the performances of his power, more of the sweetness of his peace and rest. If Christ's prayer is answered, then God will be honored. But now I've come to the reason, and I'd like to ask you, why does Jesus pray this way? What will make him pray this way? There's one word that is repeated over and over in this prayer, one verb. It's the word give. You can go on later on and mark it, underline them or circle them or put two stars or whatever you want by these. But just notice these quickly. It's used over and over here. In verse 2, given, give, given. It's again in verse 4. And six, and seven, and eight. It's again in verse 11, and 12, and 14. It's all the way through this prayer. Give, 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 give. And there are eight, uh, I'm sorry, six different things that are given. But things are always given in this pattern. Notice this. It's always the Father who gives to the Son, and then the Son who gives to His people. The people never give back, and The Father never gives to the people. It's always the Father giving to who? Jesus. And Jesus always giving to who? That teaches the doctrine that Christ must stand between God and man. When I'm on evangelizing, I'll commonly ask, if you die, where will you go? Most people say, I'll go to heaven because I go to church or I pray. A few people say, I believe in God. And you know what you can say there? That's not enough. God cannot, you cannot bypass Christ to get to God. He'll never accept you. The only way to get to the Father is what? Through the? 
You must come through the Son or it's hopeless. And this prayer perfectly illustrates it. The Father gives things only to the Son, and then the Son takes those and says, thank you. For example, in verse 8, you gave me your words. I took your words and gave them to your people. It's always a giving that has Christ in the center. But notice this. He gives people. Notice that the Father gives people in verse 2. He gives authority to the Son. Matthew 28, 18. But right here in verse 2. All of those whom you have given. Do you see that? All of those whom you have given. What does that mean? Who are these people? Look in verse 8. Who are these people? In verse 8, these people have received something. What did they receive in verse 8? They received his word in verse 8. Does everyone see that? In verse 8, the people, those whom you've given me, what did they receive? And then what do they believe in verse 8? They believe in Jesus Christ. So, okay, these people that the Father gives to the Son, they're described with two verbs. Number one, they are receivers. Number two, they are believers. What do they receive? You know, the charismatic churches will sometimes say, I receive, I receive, and they mean physical blessings on earth. But in Jesus' mind, yes, we are receivers. We are receivers of his word. And then in response to that, we believe on his son. What else are these people? In verse number nine, look at verse nine. I pray for them. Oh, these are the people Jesus prays for. Do you see that in verse nine? I pray for them. They're the subjects of Jesus' prayer. What else? They're different from who in verse 9? They're different from the world. And notice this, he says, I do not pray for who in verse 9? We're going to come to that soon. Not today, but another week. He's not praying for who? For the goats. He's only praying for who? The sheep. That's for another sermon, but just notice this. There's a clear distinction. Who are these people that the Father gives to the Son? Number one, they're the receivers. They receive his word. Number two, they're the believers. They believe in Jesus. Number three, they're the ones Jesus prays for. Number four, they're different from the world. Right here in the prayer, we have a pretty clear idea of who they are. Can anyone tell me the name that we give to that group of people? Christians. Jesus calls them his sheep. Jesus calls them his people. Jesus calls them children of God. And in the book of Revelation chapter 5, it says, some of them are Vendas, and some of them are Zulus, and some of them are Kosa, and some of them are Afrikaners, and some of them are Americans. As hard as it is to believe. Some of them are Canadians, and some of them are Russians, and some of them are the Bandwani who right now don't even have a Bible and they're 99.9% Islamic on the Comoros Islands out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. But some of those people given by the Father to the Son are from that island. So boys, I want to ask you, is this not inspire your heart to say, if the Father gave those Bandwani people to the Son, why don't I go? I'll tell you why you shouldn't go, Tulani. Because if you go, they might kill you. Kill me? What is that? Let me go. 
but, but Caleb, why would you go to the Bantwani people? Because if you go, they won't listen to you. They're 99.9% Islamic, and they're very poor, and they don't have a Bible, and they don't want you to come. And Caleb says, they don't want me to come. What is that? If the Father gave them to the Son, they will believe. Brothers and sisters, the tsongas that I'm going to preach to this afternoon in Nomatatani and Valdesia, and on Wednesdays we're starting a new church in Makasa, and we're seeing a new church in Tianimagoro. How will I know they'll come? Oh, because the father gave some of them to his son. Oh, but you don't understand. They're black people. The father gave some black people to the son. Oh, but you don't understand. The whites are racist. The father took some wicked racists, washed their racism out of them, and gave them to the son. Yeah, but you don't understand. The Chinese, they eat bats or whatever they do. Ah, it doesn't matter. He goes into the Chinese country and into Russia. He comes into every group. He grabs up his people and he says, I'm going to make you a gift to the son of God. This is glorious. It's a Trinitarian plan to gather together a choir that is going to sing to his name. And I want to be part of that. In fact, I don't want anything but to be part of that. Take my life and my money. Take my health and my children. Take anything but let me be a part of this great gift from the Father to the Son. That's the reason we're starting this church. And if you can find another church like this that says... Our whole goal for being here is just so we can be involved in the Father giving things to the Son. Hey, I'll step back. I'm only here to be involved in that. I'm only learning Shangana, Chivendu, Chishona, Uridokona, Uzita, Hezi, Wazifa. Our goal is to be involved in this great gift. There's a reason why he's praying. He's praying, glorify your Son because. You've given to the Son authority, and you've given to the Son your word, and you've given to the Son this nation, this new nation called the church, made up of every tribe and tongue and people and surname, every Chifani, every Shibongo, every surname is going to be represented in there. It might not be the people you think, oh, well, that one's drunk. He takes drunk people and cleans them up. Oh, that one's a lazy good for nothing. Oh, that one's a murderer. That's a rapist. He takes rapists and cleans them up and forgives them of their sin and gives them to his son. Grace upon grace. May God reveal this to our hearts today. Brothers and sisters, our time is up. I'm going to have to deal next week with verse 3. But I would draw your attention to this today. When the Son of God prays, he sets a pattern for you to pray. May we learn to pray. May we call on him to forgive us for living our lives for 20 or 30 years without even praying this. Some of you have to confess today, God forgive me, I haven't even prayed this once. I'm 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old and I've never prayed that. Why not? He'll answer it. So let's go to him and pray it. Oh Lord Jesus, hear us and help us Help us first by forgiving us from our sins. Forgive us for not praying this way, not thinking this way, and loving this truth. Save us from ourselves. Grant that we might devote ourselves to this great cause. And that you would open doors for us with our children and our wives and our friends and relatives. Help us, Lord Jesus, to glorify your son, to glorify yourself. Father, accept our service and forgive us for our years of rebellion. Forgive us for being away without leave. 
And grant to us the Holy Spirit to take up our crosses and follow Jesus every day. And may we come with joy, bringing all of our harvest with us. In Jesus' name, amen.